Well, hello there, everybody. Welcome back to Driving Theology. If it's your first time, welcome. Uh, this is the uh, fourth week of Advent, so I'm going to be talking about peace today. And I realize... Hold on, let me get my seatbelt on. I realize that I have uh, messed up the order <laughs> of the Advent, the Advent order, but... You know, it's all good. We'll make her work somehow. Uh, anyway, it is December 21st, Wednesday, and as usual, I am on my way to work. Been having a lot of uh, Christmas events this week. Uh, the, uh, had the debut of my new jazz band this week. We debuted at a friend's party. Christmas party. We did about a 30 or 40 minute set, which was nice, of uh, Christmas jazz music. Sorry, I've got stuff piled up in my car for for Christmas party. And uh, it's all over the place. Falling all over the place. Oh, and I think I just realized I forgot my indoor shoes. Oh well. Slippers today, I guess. So, yeah, uh, that's what's going on with me. Um, lots of Christmas stuff this week. The jazz, uh, jazz band thing looked, went pretty well. Um, we uh, did, you know, just a bunch of jazz standards and threw in a, a hymn. Uh, we did Silent Night, um, Stille die Nacht. Uh, of course, we did in English. Um, and then just some other Christmas favorites, and it was it was a really interesting uh, experience. Uh, it was my first time kind of being in a such a free environment like that for a sustained period of time. Um, and when I say free, it, part of it's that I'm just not used to performing in this way. So, like, th there's a lot of particulars. Um, that you don't know you need until you actually get to a performance situation and you realize, okay, you know, in this in this kind of situation, we, we should have prepared for this or that or this or that. And which is, you know, there's no other way to do some of that stuff without performing. You just learn stuff through performing. But all in all, I think it was a really good experience and we looks like we have a second gig now this week. Uh, which we'll do, and that should be really fun, actually. Uh, we'll do the same group, same songs. I'm actually think, thinking to try to challenge the, the band and add another song or two just to see uh, what they think, <clears throat> see if they're up, up for it. Uh, and what I've learned through this is that, man, a lot of, a lot of Christmas music is jazz-based, a lot. And it may be because the commercial commercialization of Christmas kind of coincided with uh, jazz, with with the, the rise of jazz and jazz music. Uh, well, separate jazz from jazz music. Sorry, I'm going to rearrange some stuff here so it doesn't flop around so much. Uh, maybe that's what it is, you know. So the a lot of the uh, soundtrack to Christmas, if you will, 
uh, is jazz. You know, a lot of songs were written by the famous jazz uh, jazz composers and writers, and, um, and so yeah, it's just part of Christmas. And you don't really realize it until you start, you know, trying to figure, you know, choose a set of songs for, you know, a, a jazz Christmas. You realize, well, almost all of them are jazz or have been rewritten to be jazz um, because jazz seems to be the, the Christmas music. I don't know how else to say it. Um, even songs like Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, which weren't written uh, to be jazz specifically, really lends itself. It's got little, uh, you know, modulations and key changes in it that even if you're doing it kind of in a country style are there, but it's really easy to just adapt it right into, um, right into jazz. It, it, it was written in the same era so I suppose there's a similar aesthetic uh, that was prevalent across all genres or several genres. Um, and I, I think, probably talked about this before, but jazz, country, rock and roll, blues, gospel, uh, and then rock and everything that's come after it, pop and what have you, they, they all have similar roots, right? Um, you have the African roots, and then you have African-American roots to all of this music. And so I suppose, uh, in a way, of course, there would be, um, there would be similar similarities, right? Uh, similarities in, in, you know, balance and <clears throat> symmetry, right? The way the songs are written, the uh, forms that they're written in. <coughs> Excuse me. Because if I'm not mistaken, Rudolph was first performed by, I want to say, Gene Autry, uh, kind of as a, a cowboy country Christmas, cowboy country Christmas song, Three C's. Um, but yeah, it still it still feels jazzy. It feels like jazz, uh, and I think. Yeah, I think it's very interesting. So as you explore these older uh, traditional Christmas songs, you, you find out a lot about them when you approach them from a jazz standpoint. And what separates jazz from the other genres is just really the number of chords and the, the tension the tension that's added in each chord uh, and that beautiful resolution that only jazz can manage resolution with tension <laughs> it's kind of an interesting thing uh, but it's been fun exploring jazz these last three four months um, yeah it's been interesting uh, one thing I, I will say though that and this is not about theology but about music um, I will say that there's something different in pop music these days I don't feel like Blues, jazz, gospel uh, is the prevalent mover, but more of folk music. And I say folk music because there are certain chord changes or, or chord progressions that are prevalent in today's pop music, and they seem to be just repeated over and over and over. Uh, and 
and hip hop uh, and pop, which are very closely related, to me seem to draw more on folk chord progressions uh, than than you know jazz, gospel, blues, anything like that. So I don't know. That's just kind of an epiphany I just had. Uh, might be a bad one. I don't know. So peace. I think it's actually appropriate for peace to be the last, uh, the last candle because I think, you know, hope and faith um, and joy to some extent, uh, and I think I, I talked about this last year in my Advent messages as well, but uh, they seem to be emotions. And of course, peace can be an emotion. I'm not saying it's not an emotion. It can be, right, to be calm, to be at peace. Um, but it's also, I think, a state of events that, that Christ ushered in. It's a, it's a way of being that is now possible uh, that perhaps was not um, evident before, right? That you can now live a life uh, free of fear and worry, uh, and you can live a life of peace. And the coming of Christ, <clears throat> uh, Christ came in a time when there wasn't peace, right? Things were actually pretty bad, and they got they got worse. Even while Christ was on earth, while, while Christ was on earth in the, in the body of Jesus, times were not good. Uh, and the lack of peace uh, did him in. You know, that's that's why he was killed, because peace was not a state of being or a, or a way of being. It was not, and still is not, largely how the world operates. Um, and so Jesus did not... Uh, in a lot of ways, he did not bring peace to the world uh, as far as stopping war, stopping violence, uh, you know, colonialization and, and conquest and all of these unpeaceful things still in some way, shape or form persist today, even if just on an economic basis, not a, you know, not a, not a violent basis, they still exist today. Uh, and so peace is not something that uh, has necessarily covered the earth uh, like like the uh, is it like the water like the water covers the seas or something like that I don't remember what it was. yeah hmm. sorry I'm having a little bit of my Americano here <clears throat> uh, and so peace peace was offered and it was it was shown to be possible by Christ and I think while Christ was still on the earth some people began to embrace it uh, and you could argue that this way of peace this way of being non-violent in the world uh, seems to have been something that uh, seems to have been perhaps Again, if you look at it from a certain perspective, the most objective of Jesus for his, the, the most important objective of Jesus 
for his disciples, the most important thing he wanted them to learn. You could argue that. I mean, there's... <clears throat> if you look at, at Jesus and his teachings from a certain perspective, you can certainly find that there. Um, and again, you, you tend to find what you're looking for in the Bible. And that's what we do. We tend to believe something and then we, we read the Bible so it, it will confirm what we believe. And that's even possible with what I'm talking about here. I don't deny that at all. Um, but I think, I think if you just allow the Bible to speak and you you listen to, especially the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, uh, but really the entire canon, I think you just learn and let it speak, right? Let it say what it says and listen to it from an open mind. I think um, you would come to the conclusion that, that God abhors violence, that the only thing God actually hates is violence and the death that is caused by violence. That God and, and Christ, by extension, are all about, not extension, Christ is God, um, are all about life, right? Life is what God is about. Creation, the creation of life, the flourishing of life, abundant life, uh, and, and the, you know, love, peace, joy, uh, and hope that goes with that, right? That that's the way of being in the world. And how the way of peace speaks into that, in my, in my opinion, is that Christ comes and shows us how we can be in the world and we can make a difference and we can, we can thrive and we can flourish without depending on violence to make that happen. You know, I've talked many times about uh, how the world tends to believe that violence is a legitimate means of problem solving. And that that very thought is a problem. But it's so ingrained in us. It's, it's ingrained into me. It's in, ingrained to everybody. It's, it's almost into our DNA it seems that we we do tend to resort to violence to solve problems some of us quicker than others but I think one of the things that makes civilization civilized is this notion that there are other ways to solve problems we can all live together large group of people can live together in relative harmony if violence is kept at bay and that's really what cities are now of course there's violence that happens in cities and violence is what threatens cities you know we've seen even in my lifetime cities be rocked by by mobs violent mobs <clears throat> riots burning and looting and shooting. <clears throat> Los Angeles comes to mind. Uh, back, I think, was the 90s. 
that Rodney King maybe is who that was I can't remember I think that's who it was um, and so violence is what makes civilization uncivilized and the opposite of that is our decision to solve our problems non-violently so that we can live side by side in close proximity uh, hopefully to the benefit of one another uh, and that's civilization and a lot of the utopian visions that the Bible has has to do with cities uh, Jerusalem and the new Jerusalem and you know the heaven one of the visions of heaven is a you know, a, a city with walls, right? Walls and streets and gates. Um, these structures are synonymous with city dwelling, civilization, right? City starts with CI, just like civilization, to be civil, um, civic, right? Civic duty. Uh, all of these words have to do with living together and and tolerating one another at least. Now tolerance is not peace. Right? If I just tolerate somebody, sure, I suppress violence, right, in in one shape or another against a person who I don't really agree with or like uh, or whatever. That's a start, right? Uh, but peace is 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 beyond that, and you could argue that love, love and peace go hand in hand, right? It's it should go on to a a real affection for one another, right? An affection for one another. <clears throat> I had to explain to my Japanese students. Uh, the word affectionate the other day my college students I guess it was yesterday well actually the last two days it came up in the, in the same lesson anyway affectionate and I had to think about it you know how do you <clears throat> how do you define affection um, and all I can think of is affection is the way that we show our positive feelings for another person Right? We show our positive feelings for another person. We show that we like them or love them. Um, and it might be through touch. It might be through other ways. Right, uh, To have affection. And until, until people get to a point where we can actually be affectionate for one another. Where, where we feel the love for one another. Um, I don't think there perhaps true true peace is possible but I don't think that true peace is probably possible in this life <clears throat> I doubt it I doubt true peace is completely possible but nevertheless it's the best way to be in the world right? it's the most positive way to be in the world I think Uh, yeah, so 
Sorry, I'm just having a second thought. There's a restaurant around here uh, that I just thought about, but I think they're closed on Wednesdays, which is a bummer. So I'll just see if they want a jazz band to come play there. All right, anyway. Uh, peace. Yeah, we've... The Bible talks about peace in about, you know, three ways. In three ways. It talks about peace. It talks about peace making, right? Peacemaking. I was going to say peacekeeping, but I guess it doesn't really talk about peacekeeping. I think civilized societies are decent at keeping the peace, <clears throat> uh, but not very good at making it, at being peacemakers. I know that sounds, on you know, at, at a grammatical level, it sounds like we're splitting hairs. Uh, but to keep peace really is just to keep people from killing each other. That's the idea of keeping the peace, to be a peacekeeper. But somebody who actually makes genuine peace is somebody who becomes a bridge between people, right? Someone who who comes between people with the uh, express intention to reconcile them to one another, a reconciler. And this, this idea of reconciliation is obviously big in the New Testament. <clears throat> and when you talk about the New Testament use of the word judgment, for example, Generally, we think of uh, a modern judge who uh, has a list of laws that he has to uh, judge people by and then a list of punishments for each uh, infarction, infraction, infraction. I never know that it's infraction. Infarction, I think, is something to do with the heart. <laughs> so, you know, you have crime and punishment. It's all about if you do this crime, you have to get this punishment. And that's how we keep peace in our society. Right? We try to encourage people to follow, follow the law by scaring them uh, with various punishments right? if they don't. Uh, and that's, that's peacekeeping. But God's use of the word judgment uh, and the Bible's use, the Bible writer's use of the word judgment throughout the New Testament has more to do with reconciliation, and that is making peace, wrecking, reconciling uh, two people uh, to one another. And that that is restoring affection, restoring trust, uh, restoring uh, relationship, right? It's not about punishing the one who did the wrong, but finding a way by which the two can go back to the original relationship before the wrong occurred. Both. Uh, modern, modern judgment or justice does not do that justice, if I may say so. Uh, the modern way of justice does not reconcile people. Uh, not all the way. Not completely. In fact, the modern way of justice is if you do something that's against the law, you are now labeled a criminal uh, many times for the rest of your life. You know, you now have a title, uh, felon, for example. 
And that that is not promoting reconciliation. That's actually helping to foster distrust. Uh, and the other thing it does is it, it puts the justice system in a, you know, holier-than-thou kind of uh, status, right? We are better than you because we are not felons. You're a felon, we are not, therefore we are better than you, and you can never be reconciled uh, to the point where you will never lose that title felon. That title felon will follow you for the rest of your life. That is not reconciliation. It's not reconciliation. Uh, that is vindictiveness. Uh, it's arrogance. Uh, it's a lot of things, but it's not reconciliation. <clears throat> and so the world today does not do a good job. And I think, in general, the world is moving away from violence. It's becoming less and less violent. Uh, we are tolerating violence less and less. Um, we don't have the stomachs for violence, for the most part, anymore. Um, for the most part. Some do. Um, and so we're moving away from uh, violence as a legitimate means of, of problem, sol problem solving in the world. Uh, but when push comes to shove and something is threatened of ours that we um, value highly, then we will resort to violence. And that includes the so-called Christian nation of America as well as every other nation nearly. Um, Japan, in that regard, is probably one of the most Christian nations there are. Japan doesn't um, directly involve itself in killing of any kind, even the army. You know, they are, they are a self-defense force and they will take up arms if threatened. That does happen from time to time. But in general, uh, they are not allowed by their own laws to, to make preemptive war. <clears throat> and they're not allowed to join in other people's wars. Um, not with weapons. They may serve in other ways. They may be support. Uh, and of course, that's a, you could say that's a fine line. You know, if you're supporting war, even if you're not pulling the trigger, you're part of it, and that's true. I'm just saying that Japan has probably moved, uh, moved farther toward a godlike status than any other nation that I know of. That's all I'll say about that. Um, so. Peace. How do you how do you become a peacemaker? Uh, I think the first step, and that's this is why we celebrate Christmas, is to kind of bask in and, and immerse yourself in the promise of peace that Christ ushered into the world uh, when He was incarnated in this baby Jesus. Embrace that that idea of peace. Embrace the idea of reconciliation long for it uh, 
and and find ways that you can bring reconciliation where you are right find ways that you can reconcile people that you can restore relationship uh, with in your own context in your family in your at your job at your school uh, what have you um, but number, step number one is to see it and to have a vision for it. Uh, to have a vision for reconciliation. To see that it's possible. To see that it's desirable. To see that the lack of rec- reconciliation is one of the biggest plagues in the world today. So this Christmas season, you know, just listening to the to the angels, sing to the shepherds, you know, glory to God in the highest, and peace on earth, goodwill toward men. Right? The angels were announcing. Uh, I think what they were announcing was God's status with the world. He has peace with the earth. He is not at war with the earth in any way, shape, or form. Peace on earth. And that God has nothing but goodwill toward men. He has only um, love and affection for mankind and nothing else. Peace on earth and goodwill toward men. Et in terra pax. Peace on earth. Et in terra, et in terra pax. This is Latin for peace on earth. Yeah. Uh, peace is something that we've trivialized, right? Here in Japan, every time, every time somebody takes a picture, somebody hand, hand, you know holds up their fingers, two fingers. And they say, peace, right? Uh, and they don't know what it means. I ask kids, what do you think peace means? I ask Japanese kids. And they think it means uh, to take a picture. <laughs> to take a picture. Of course, it comes from uh, anti-violent violence movements, right? Anti-war movements of the, of the 1960s. Um, I think it's where it came from. Now, originally... That same symbol represented a V for victory, right? And that that was the opposite. V for victory was like, yay, we defeated our enemies in war, right? That's where it started. And then it was co-opted and said, no, let's let's say this is peace, right? Peace. The only victory is peace. Uh, Victory in war does not bring peace necessarily. In fact, it devastates one of the parties and does not bring reconciliation <clears throat> or at least not as much as it should I think in a large part the Japanese people have been reconciled to the American people that we have reconciled one another but it happened through war and so you know there's a there is a sense and there should be a sense in which you know it was a forced peace a 
threatened peace, if you will. Which is not unreasonable at all. Uh, you know, when the angel came, he said, you know, don't be afraid. I bring you tidings of great joy. I bring you tidings of great joy. Um, for in the city of David, the Savior is born. Right? And one of his titles, the Savior who was born, Prince of Peace. He is the Prince of Peace. He's mighty, but his might is in his peacemaking. Yes, he's the mighty God, but he's the Prince of Peace. The way he shows his might is by bringing peace to the world and letting the world know that peace is not only possible, it's desirable. It's the best way to be in the world, to be at peace with one another. And, you know, there are several things that are enemies of peace. Uh, what the Bible calls covetousness, right? Wanting what your, uh, your friend or your brother has. Selfishness. Wanting to keep what you have away from your friend or brother. <clears throat> Pride. Thinking you're better than someone else. Shame, thinking you're worse than someone else. None of these things really bring peace, right? They're enemies of peace. Um, and a lot of other things. Uh, but in a nutshell, I think if you were to take those four things and work on them, uh, I think I think you would begin to be at peace with a lot of people, um, for sure. Yeah, I think so. I do. Uh, work on your pride and your selfishness and your covetousness. Just those three things right there. You know, to be to be humble, uh, to listen more than you speak. generous to be understanding and forgiving peace yeah peace well it looks like I'm gonna barely make it on time to my job I thought I had plenty of time but it doesn't look that way Excuse me. Uh, yeah, so I think we'll leave it right there for today. Uh, I wish you all the peace of the season. I hope that you will find ways, little ways, local ways, personal ways to lean into peace. Uh, Keep focusing on the hope, faith, and joy of the season. 
uh, and the piece. Um, yeah, thank you very much, and uh, Merry Christmas. Bye-bye.